change is inevitable and can often be chaotic. However, when it's fully organized, change can be dynamic, powerful, and progressive. The Organizing for Change podcast will help you move from a spectator to a difference maker and will assist you in bringing positive change to your community, your city, and perhaps of most importance, you. Hosted by Amanda Decker, drug-free community substance use prevention coordinator, mom to many, entrepreneur, and fan of great conversation, Organizing for Change is heard in over 40 countries and every state in the USA. We are delighted that you've joined us today, because after all, we do this for you, and that will never change. Here's Amanda. Welcome to episode 42 of the Organizing for Change podcast where our goal is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their community. Thank you all so much for your support. If you would like to be an insider to the Organizing for Change podcast, join our email list. You will be the first to know about upcoming episodes, and you will get a summary after each episode with links to anything we've talked about emailed right to your inbox. Just click on the link in the notes to join our community today. As a coalition director or coordinator, how do you make sure you aren't doing all of the work? We answer this question and more on today's episode with Scott Henderson, director of the National Alliance for Drug Endangered Children. Scott has over 20 years of nonprofit executive leadership experience. For 15 years, he served as the executive director for organizations that provided experiential education, outdoor education, leadership development, and developed partnerships with organizations serving children and youth at risk. For the next five years, he served organizations in the transition leading strategic planning, board and staff development, and clarifying mission, vision, and service. This is a jam-packed full of awesome gold for all of you, and I hope that you will enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed recording this podcast. Without further ado, my conversation with Scott Henderson. Well, today I am welcoming Scott Henderson to the Organizing for Change podcast. Scott, welcome to the show. Why don't you let everybody know a little bit about who you are and about the amazing agency you direct. Thanks so much, Amanda. It's really good to be here with everybody. So I'm the executive director for the National Alliance for Drug Endangered Children. We are a nonprofit organization that was formed back in 2003. And our main focus and the reason we exist is we want to help make a difference in the lives of children who are living in dangerous drug environments. Um, And that's expanded to any kind of substance abuse. Um, Our belief is that the best way to address the needs of these endangered or affected children is a coordinated response that puts the children's needs first. The scope of the challenge that we're trying to address is the estimates are that there are 9 million children affected by substance abuse here in the United States. So the primary challenge then becomes um, with drug endangered or affected children is identifying those at risk and coordinating the various systems and disciplines charged with intervening and providing services to those children and families. 
Um, we found that early recognition and intervention is the key to those children having opportunities for a better future. Um, that substance abuse has such a profound effect on them in so many layered ways. Um, so we really feel like um, to be an organization that provides rescue, defense, shelter, and support um, really are keys to um, our mission, vision, and value set. So we take a multidisciplinary approach. Um, we do believe that all professionals who have the opportunity to identify children suffering from neglect and abuse should be trained to work collaboratively. So we support um, them by engaging individuals, corporate partners, foundations, government agencies, um, so that we can provide the program assistance to communities across the nation to form effective DEC alliances. So our role, um, just to, to recap that, is equipping, training, sharing information, technical assistance, helping to form state and local DEC alliances, and measuring and sharing impact data. So that's, that's the main thrust of what we do. That's now expanded into utilizing some new technology, which um, has engaged us in developing a mobile application to provide some tiered support to victims and the alliances. And then we just launched some online training that has tremendous um, impact and response. We, um, I hate to say this um, out loud, but we probably weren't um, prepared for the success that we're having with that. So that's a great problem to have. I'm curious now, it, was the agency something that you started? Was it something that was born out of like an incident that happened or was it something that you kind of came into? It was born out of a series of incidents and some layers of engagement. And I just joined the organization this year. Um, I've got a background in executive director positions with other nonprofit organizations that were serving children. And so I've been exposed to the challenges of the kids that were in those affected situations. And when I found an organization that, sh that solely focused on addressing that need, it really um, tugged at a heartstring and created a passion to want to be a part of the organization. So we, today, our staff and our, our contract staff are the beneficiaries of those that came before us, that paved the way, that laid some of the groundwork, um, who engaged in a very difficult task um, over the last 20 years. Now, you were talking a little bit about uh, training folks to work collaboratively. What, is, what does that look like when you come and do training? So our approach, our, our encouragement is to encourage a multidisciplinary approach. So we're collaborating and working with law enforcement, social services, nonprofit organizations, mental health professionals, pediatricians, teachers, um, anyone who's in contact or even care of children um, potentially is an alliance partner. And the reason collaboration is so um, important is it's easy to fall into kind of the path of this is my one thing and this is the one area that I'm responsible for. So I only have a limited scope of the ability to affect the outcomes for the children. Collaboration means we're now coordinating an effort together and it's those layers of um, support together that are making the biggest impact. Um, everybody feels empowered to make contact, to engage another group, another resource, another solution. Um, and through those collaborations, we've really found an awful lot of pretty amazing things can happen. So collaboration has been the key for, for the success that we've realized. When you think of collaboration, is there kind of like a story or a success story that comes to mind where, where you felt like, aha, this is really what we're all about. This is, this story demonstrates the need for this. 
Yeah, I do have a good story for that. I'm in a prior um, executive director position. I served a number of really specific constituent bases, and each of those constituent bases articulated um, how they were unique and different than all the other constituent bases. And when I met with the leadership from each of those groups, I found out that they were exactly the same. And so the trick then was um, to let them discover that without us imposing that information on them. And so we brought the leadership together and a chance for them to share their stories with each other, um, really to help them gain an appreciation and an understanding of their missions. And through that process of just having conversation, um, they discovered that they were very similar. And that opened the door to some collaborations and some things that they did in partnership. And our role really became kind of like the shepherd for that process. Um, we just kind of kept them on track. The path can be wide, but there still needs to be a path. And so we helped keep them on the path. And then we provided resources and support for the things that they were that they started to do together. So for me, that was my aha moment of the power of collaboration. The other piece of it that was a pretty amazing was some additional funding became available for the things that they were doing because they were working together versus working individually. I love that you just said, let them discover the answer instead of you tell them you're alike. And I think a lot of times that happens, right? Just whether, whenever we're working with people, if you have the knowledge, it can sometimes be a real challenge to hold back on giving that knowledge and let people have the conversation and have that aha self-discovery. And it just is so much more powerful to put people in the room where they realize, oh, wow, we're all working on the same thing instead of you telling them that. So that's, that's beautiful. I love that. You talked a little bit about some of the types of training that you offer. What does training look like? Is it specific to a group or do you tend to usually bring in all the different sectors together? So for when we're forming an alliance, it is a group training. It's helping them understand what it's going to um, take for them to, to sustain the alliance. And that's often the part that we have a hard time discussing. Everybody wants to do something, but sustaining it becomes the, the challenge. And so we help with the sustaining portion. And then frequently the training that we're offering is technical assistance because we've learned so much in the last 20 years. Um, we can share the technical pieces that help them operate smoothly. Um, then the third part is then we have national speakers and folks that then become train the trainers, um, for lack of a better term. And so we train the trainers as well. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. You talked a little bit about in your bio about how you have done some work around organizational management. And I think this is such a hot button topic to coalitions. I've met the people that just get really stressed out and frustrated with that whole entire process and kind of like, why are we doing all this? And then there are people who could spend, you know, their whole life organizational management. But from your perspective, why is that so important to work on? And how does that help an organization? It's just the management piece of it. Talk about that. I often think in my own head of organizations being in one, one of three states of existence. They're either in survival mode, which can be really tough, but it becomes normal to be in survival mode, but it's, it's really challenging. Um, you can be in a place of success where the organization is doing a measurable good, it's realizing its mission and vision, and its value set is really clear. 
But really what we're all striving for ultimately is to become an organization of significance where what we're doing is very impactful and it's so impactful that others are drawn to us because they want to share and collaborate with us and learn how we do what we do. And so I think when we think organizational management and organizational change, it helps me to think in what's our state of being today and how do we move from where we are today to where we really want to be in the near future. And then that creates and that can create an organizational plan that helps you with direction. The other piece it helps with is you really need leadership throughout the organization. Um, and it helps you really develop leaders throughout the, the team. With that leadership throughout the organization, you become a solopreneur, and that's really tough. And if a disaster strikes and you lose that that key person, that key driver, um, it really frays the organization's ability to, to exercise its mission. I got questions. This is good. <laughs> um, so you were talking about survival mode. Let's say there's a coalition out there right now, and they heard your definition of survival mode, and they think, that's us. You know, we're just trying to make it day to day. We would like to move to the success part. What What do you see as their first step if they just had that aha, that, that's us? The first piece of that is identifying what survival looks like to your organization, um, because it's going to be different for every organization. It may be tied to finances. It may be tied to stakeholder engagement. It may be tied to the impacts you have on those that you seek to serve. Then the second part then is defining for your organization what success would look like if you're not in success, because now you've got a target to aim for. And having that target to aim for really helps with clarity and taking the next steps. Otherwise, you can be paralyzed where you are, not knowing how to take that first step or if the first step you take is the right step. Then the third part then is what would it look like if we were an organization that other organizations were drawn to? If we're a coalition that's doing a measurable good, could we now help others repeat what we're doing? And in, do, in doing that, do a much more significant good to that community or that, that constituent group. So defining what's, what those look like for your organization, has I have, I have found that's really the key because if you take somebody else's definition, it's just, it's not as compelling. I think about, so a coalition kind of defines that, right? But mm -hmm. then I think there's oftentimes a lot of confusion around what's the roadmap to get to that vision or, you know, idea. I was recently working with a group of people and in their coalition, they've always been like the, the fun coalition. You get together, they have a little pot of money and, you know, they want to do good. They want to reduce use substance use, but... It's really, um, there's not a lot of structure to the group. There's no, they've said things like, you know, we've never really had a reason to vote or not vote yet because we all just get along. We're friends. Like, this is just a good, you know, mix of people. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fun there. Uh, but something that they're finding a challenge is when it comes to growth, there's not a lot of new people and new members that are able to or feel like they want to join the group. Um, so how, if you were the director of that coalition, how would you get that group of people to see the need for organizational management, for the need to kind of do some of the not so fun things of like writing down like the vision and mission and doing, I mean, to them sitting down and having a whole hour on talking about what success looks like, where they could be paying for, you know, something fun, like providing after from transportation for kids, like that's just such a bigger draw. So how do you explain to them the need 
for that if you were the leader of that group? That can, that can be one of the tough roles for an executive director is to be honest about what, who the organization is and who they're really serving. Um, from, from what you described, you know, I've kind of lived that before and it becomes challenging because um, that's a group or a, a coalition or a board that is actually kind of serving itself and has lost some sight of what the bigger mission picture was. So oftentimes as the executive director, it's helpful to come back to the mission statement which is our description of where we are today and how we do and what we do today and look at our vision statement, which is our preferred future. That's where we want to be in the future. And then the third piece then are our value sets. Like that's really the piece that describes how we get from where we are today to where we want to be in the future and what we appreciate as an organization and what we've learned others appreciate in us and how we do what we do. Um, it's, but that's a tough, it's a tough thing because you do want a couple of board members that sometimes challenge the process. And that's a healthy piece that lets us um, really validate and verify where we are today and where we're going in the future. I love that. Another organization I work with, they went through this process and it was a little bit of a larger group. And during the process, about a third of their organization left and found you know, jobs in other locations. And it wasn't necessarily that the group was doing a bad job. It's just the people that were sitting there in the room were saying, you know, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I wanted to do. I, I didn't want to do all this work. Like there's just a lot of effort to sit in meeting after meeting doing what it seems like, you know, um, drawing out the blueprints instead of actually building a house. You know, we'll come back when the blueprints are all finished and let us know when we can build. Um, so how do you as a leader handle the fact that, you know, I don't think most people love the fact that people are leaving. How do they stay strong and true to like what they're doing? Um, do they just let the people leave or is it something that they work, you know, slow down a little bit so people don't leave? How do you, how do you handle that? That almost becomes a cultural issue, uh, the culture of the organization. And one of the things that can affect culture, and it takes a long time to affect culture and, and being consistent. So as the executive director, I find that my part of my role is being very consistent day in and day out. And sometimes that means being pleasantly persistent with the messaging um, and also pleasantly persistent in keeping us on time and on task with our mission plan and our mission strategy. Um, that becomes the roadmap. And perhaps in an organization that's having that kind of a struggle, they're not celebrating successes along the way. So folks are, are disengaging because they're feeling like they're not being impactful and they're, they're, they're not being successful. So in that strategic plan, there need to be some benchmark moments where we've achieved certain things. And now we take a, we take a quick moment to celebrate that together and recognize that and engage our stakeholders in recognizing it. Um, not that we're um, seeking hollow validation for what we're doing, but we're making sure that that impact that we thought was going to be significant really was significant. If it is, let's, let's celebrate that and now move on to the next thing. Um, that becomes part of the culture after a while of the organization is um, making strides, having success, becoming significant, moving on to the next thing that keeps that, that process going. Um, that makes, um, you know, most times in the nonprofit world, our boards have a certain tenure. That makes filling board spots um, easier because folks are now attracted to the organization and current board members are really active in helping and sharing the story and engaging 
potential new board members. That's a fun story to be able to share. Yeah. This big thing that I did over the last three or four years, I'd love to share that with somebody else. Yeah. So that becomes the culture of the organization, but it's tough to affect culture. It takes some persistence. I was thinking back to something you said earlier too about, um, you know, really not being a solopreneur. Um, so when you think of like leadership, how can somebody as a leader really help move this along and have good organizational management, have a good organization to help these strong organization without being the person who's doing all the work? Um, how does that work? That becomes a, that's, a, that's not that it's tricky. Um, you're not doing a Jedi mind trick on, on staff or, or board members. Um, but you want to make sure that you don't fall into the trap of thinking of yourself as an iconic leader surrounded by acolytes, because there's no way to sustain an organization that way. Um, so you have to think of yourself as how am I equipping um, the rest of the team to be really successful in their roles and for them to be able to, um, to, to gain experience and move up in the organization. You'd love it if you had three or four folks in the organization that were primed to take your seat. Um, but that also means setting some ego aside, mm. which, which is challenging for all of us. Yeah. Um, but the, I think the times I've been most satisfied in my role is when there was somebody in the organization I knew who was going to be better at my job than I was. And then when you think about, so you, you kind of have to think of yourself as like the chief equipper, you know, the person who's really given the people in the coalition the resources they need to grow. And, you know, maybe you don't have anybody for a certain role, but how do you help somebody grow into a position, right? Rather than just you say, there's nobody to do it, I'll just do it, right? Right, right. and sometimes that means coming alongside them and doing it with them for a period of time. Mm -hmm. It also shows that you are a person that can set ego aside. Um, there are times when um, I can remember I worked for a large uh, retreat and conference center, and occasionally I'd go in after dinner and run the dishwasher, and it would stress mm -hmm. the staff out. Um, but I wanted to show them that, I wasn't too good for any role in the organization. Plus there was some satisfaction in it because it was the only job I started and finished in the same day. So I that didn't it. feel good. <laughs> yes. That's so but, well said. And somebody wiser than I told me this one time, he said, when you're working for a nonprofit organization, you're the caretaker of the organization. It's not your organization. So you have to make a decision somewhere along the, on the way are you going to leave it better than you found it? Or are you going to let it bump along where it currently is? And I think going back to what you just said about setting ego aside, it's time consuming to develop people, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it is faster to do it in the beginning yourself, right? Rather than just have to take somebody along and do all that. But in the long run, doing it yourself isn't a sustainable model. No, and again, I, I do kind of feel like, especially with a coalition, because you have so many different folks with so many different skill sets, and they have a passion to share that, and that's why they came together in that coalition. Um, so helping them recognize their strengths and be able to use those to the best effect for the organization, it's going to let them feel better about what they do, and um, it's going to have the, help the organization move farther down the road. But you do have to invest that time. And I, I've found over the last... 10 or 12 years, I probably spend more time um, investing in the people than sometimes I do on the actual thing that we're doing because they're the ones who are really going to deliver it. And my role is to make sure that they're in that position. 
um, I'm best equipped to do that. And I'm resourcing them and equipping them with what the things that they're going to need next. So you need a little bit of 2020 hindsight and then a little bit of foresight to know what might come next on how to do that equipping. When you think of investing in people, what does that typically look like for you? And I'm sure there's no like cookie cutter, you know, this works for everybody, but what, what, what do you see as um, how you invest in people? Um, I, well, I think one of the things that leaders when I was young shared with me is they let me ask questions and they let me offer um, solutions and then they would engage in that rather than them just telling me the answer. Because I learned so much more through that process, those conversations and um, asking, why don't we do it this way? And they said, oh, I know that seems like a good idea, but here's what we learned over the years, that it doesn't have the outcome that you think it's going to have. But talking through that gains, you really gain a lot of experience for that. Somebody the other day asked me how I learned what I learned. And I said, well, I just made mistakes and I hated making the mistakes. And so I didn't repeat them. Mm. Um, So I've encouraged the staff to be willing to make mistakes not repeat them if they didn't have the outcome that we wanted yeah um, because they learned some we all learned so much more from our mistakes than our successes so true so uh we only have a few more questions left but one i wanted to ask uh what have you been reading or what kind of reading do you do that just um you know really speaks to you and that you'd recommend to others Sure. I, I, about every five years, I come back to Jim Collins, um, good to great and great by choice. Um, the fact that he did the follow-up and he did, he did the work was a good model for the rest of us. And I, one of the biggest takeaways I have from that book, and it, it, it has really helped me immensely, is that the best effect you can have on an organization is being willing to make small incremental changes over time to make that organization most successful or most significant. Mm. Um, and every time I read the books, because I'm in a different place in life, I pick a little something different out of that. And That's so, and they're practical because they're real stories about real organizations. When you were uh, thinking of this podcast, is there anything that we left out that you think I really was hoping that we could share this with the listeners? Um, anything at all? Well, we live in such a changing society. Um, I think we have to be clear in our, in our organization's minds um, what role societal influences play on us as an organization? Are we going to be affected by culture or by what we do? Are we going to have a positive effect on culture? We may just be seed planners and we may not see the results today, but we still need to be willing to take the actions. Um, and then the second piece of that is um, being a change agent, being willing to change and recognize when change is going to happen to you, get out ahead of it so that you can use that change to continue to do a measurable good. Thank you so much for this conversation. And we'll put the books and the things that you said in our show notes uh, so people can listen um, and not have to worry about jotting down all the notes, especially if you're running or driving, keep going. Uh, We'll put it in the show notes for you. But this was a great conversation and just it's been an honor to have you on, Scott. Thanks so much, Amanda. And again, I don't want to make everybody think I think I'm an expert. I I am a cautionary tale. I have learned from my failures. I think that's a good piece of advice to leave people with you know learn from your failure Thank you for listening to the Organizing for Change podcast, where our goal is to empower coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring positive change to their communities. To learn more about us or to get the show notes from today's episode emailed to your inbox, log on to our website. We hope you are inspired by today's show and keep up the great work. See you next time 